help support the Jiminy Cricket podcast and the Disney Chris website by becoming a Patreon subscriber. By joining our illustrious roster of supporters, you will receive exclusive rewards every month, including audio content, Disney video commentaries, and an exclusive Patreon subscribers-only podcast called Down the Rabbit Hole. Be sure to check out our new donation levels and special rewards at www.patreon.com slash DisneyChris. Jiminy Crickets! Jiminy Cricket is the name I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow Always getting in wrong For singing my song A merry old soul am I Jiminy Cricket is the name I'll be hanging around this evening I'll be tipping my hat And telling you that Jiminy Cricket is the name Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 135 of the Jiminy Crickets podcast. And I'm joined again by Ruthie. How are you doing, Ruthie? I'm doing great, Chris. Ready to talk about California. Recently, Disney California Adventure celebrated its 20th anniversary. So we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about the home next to our home disney's california adventure i'll always call it disney's with an s they can't i know (laughs) they gotta stop chain renaming things because you get in the habit and then anyway we thought it would be fun to talk about the original disney's california adventure as it was the year it opened ruthie was an eyewitness she was there during its opening year And we'll talk about that. So we're going to take you on a fun little tour of the park as it was in February of 2001. But before we get to that, we have a very special announcement. The Jiminy Crickets podcast proudly endorses Concierge Vacation Planners, a Disney-authorized specialty vacation planning service. Concierge doesn't just book your trip. They walk you through the entire process helping you plan out every detail, one-on-one, to make the very most out of your vacation while saving you both time and money. And the best part is, they charge nothing for their services. You will get the exact same pricing as if you booked your vacation directly through Disney. But in using Concierge expertise, you've got the added bonus of having your very own personal Disney Guru Planner by your side. Both Ruthie and I are also satisfied customers and we just can't recommend them enough. Visit their website at www.concierge.com. That's www.concierge.com, as in mouse ears. So when you book your next Disney vacation, be it Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the Disney Cruise Line, or many of the other Disney destinations available worldwide, contact Concierge Vacation Planners. And be sure to tell them Disney Chris sent you. From the dream makers at Disney. 
an exciting new theme park is coming to Southern California. Located right next door to Disneyland Park, celebrating all the fun and adventure of California. Introducing Disney's California Adventure, a brand new Disney park. Opening February 2001. The beginning of Disney's California Adventure goes as far back as the 19, late 80s, early 90s, because Michael Eisner wanted to expand the Disneyland footprint so that it would be more than just a one-day, one-park situation. It was a money-making scheme to get people to stay longer at Disney and spend more money. So they wanted to build a second park in California. And there were many different ideas about what that second park would be. And it wasn't always going to be a park right next to Disneyland. There were some ideas that they would build a park further away and have it be connected by monorail. One of the earliest ideas was for a park to be called Port Disney, which was going to be built in Long Beach. This is part of the reason they purchased the Queen Mary and the Spruce Goose. Remember when Disney owned that area? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I went to go see it before Disney owned it, and then in the late 80s, they purchased it. It was, uh, you would take a tour of the boat and then you would go into this huge dome structure and inside was the actual spruce goose and then between the two was this little london town sort of bavarian style village with a lot of shopping and everything so disney purchased that and they were planning on extending it and expanding it and turning it into a, a theme park with sort of a maritime theme and they were going to call it Port Disney, but that never happened. But it did eventually, and very similar to what they were planning for California, it got built in Japan. And it became eventually Tokyo Disney Sea, which opened actually right around the same time the California Adventure opened in 2001. But um, my sense is that Disney was calling Anaheim's bluff because they definitely wanted to build the park in Anaheim preferably and by having another location they sort of put Anaheim City Council in their place because obviously it's going to bring jobs and money and taxes to the city so they would want to have a second Disney park of course but by Disney saying, well, if you don't cooperate, we're going to build it in Long Beach, it sort of got them to bend to whatever Disney, what they wanted. And so I feel there's nothing officially. I mean, how would that be an official thing? But I feel that that was part of the game plan. Now, what they planned for to build actually next to Disneyland was for a West Coast version of Epcot Center in Florida, and this would be called Westcott. And like the Florida version, it would have sections that were dedicated to the future, and then it would also have 
uh, sections dedicated to countries around the world. It was going to be very different, but it would have some similarities to what uh, Epcot was. And we could do a whole episode on Westcott, so I'm not going to go into detail on exactly what Westcott was. Just know that it was going to be built in the same place where California Adventure was built, and it was going to be the California version of Epcot Center. So, this was all still being planned out. Meanwhile, Disney was all over the world building stuff at the time. It was a major period of expansion for Disney, and this is when Euro Disney opened. And there were two things that sort of put the kibosh on, on Westcott. One of them was Euro Disney, because it wasn't a financial success when it first opened. It tanked. It, it lost a great deal of money. It's made up for that today and exceeded expectations. But when it first opened, it was a big disaster. And it was a financial problem for Disney. So a lot of their plans had to be scaled down or canceled after that. And then another problem was Disney was considering building a Disney park on the East Coast in the Virginia area. And it was going to be a historical America-themed park called Disney's America. And Disney got a lot of backlash for this by the local people who were against Disney coming to their area and doing a Disney-fied version of America when just miles away were real historic places and they just felt like Disney was... They, they made it known Disney was not wanted. And through great effort, protest, and, um, and uh, legal means, Disney had to cancel the project in 93. So both of these things sort of made the whole concept of Westcott in peril because Disney now sort of chickened out on taking risks because of these two big flops. So they decided that they would still do a park in Second Gate in California because there was money to be had. But they, would, they wouldn't make the invest, initial investment that they originally proposed. It would have to be something extremely scaled back. And they just felt like they couldn't do Westcott the way they wanted to at a lower budget. So the whole concept was canceled and they had to come up with a completely different theme for the park. So they actually um, had a... In 1995, all the Disney higher-ups and creative higher-ups went on a retreat to Aspen, Colorado, a long weekend. And the agenda included coming up with a new idea for this unspecified second gate. And so... The idea that got the green light was a park based on all of the tourism and historical legend and lore of the state of California. And there were several reasons why Michael Eisner went with this plan. One of them 
was because their whole thinking in building California Adventure was that it would be taking people away from doing other things in California when visiting and instead spending more time at Disney. So by making a park that included things that could be found in the rest of the state of California, it gave people a reason to not actually go to the real places and instead go to the Disney version of these places and in turn spend more time at Disney. And then also another reason was they could definitely build this park at a lo much lower price tag. And initially it had a higher price tag and they kept lowering it more and more until it was... I think the park cost less than a billion dollars when they first opened it, which is unheard of. Even 20 years ago, to build a Disney park for under a billion dollars, um, that's like, that's impossible. I can't believe they even did it. But anyway, they had another tragedy that hit them unexpectedly in 94 when Frank Wells, the sort of co-manager of Disney at the time, passed away in a ski accident, putting Michael Eisner as the sole proprietor of Disney and with all the things that have been happening recently with Disney's America and Euro Disney he had some real issues with taking risks and so after Frank Wells was gone who was really the driving force the sort of the silent driving force behind the Disney Renaissance era when he left and put Michael Eisner in charge things all sort of started to go downhill at that point. Yeah, he really helped to keep Michael Eisner in check. Yes, exactly. And now Michael Eisner had nobody challenging him. So even after they started to design and plan California Adventure, further budget cuts were made. And the project just sort of dwindled more and more into what eventually opened in February of 2001. Now, the park took years to recover. See, it, the, the whole saying of you have to spend money to make money or a stitch in time saves nine, this is a prime example because of the cost cutting that they did, it cost them billions and billions of dollars to recover from it. They, they, the, they, if they had just spent the money initially, it would have saved yeah. them billions of dollars. Yeah, because it was less money that they would have had to spend back in 2001. Right. So, eventually, California Adventure became what it is today, but when it first opened, it was a completely different experience. The, the bones, the, the bare, you know, the, 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 it, the infrastructure and the bare bones of the park was the same, but it has seen some major theming changes and expansion and additions. And uh, it has become a beloved Disney park today. But when it first opened, they couldn't, they couldn't get anybody there. They had to lower ticket prices. They, they had a lot of trouble even getting guests to go to California Adventure. So, it was a problem. But there were some things about the park 
despite all of that, that were charming and endearing and still had the Disney touch and the Disney feeling. And there are some people who have some sort of nostalgia for the original park, as troubled as it was. And it was an interesting park, and it was an interesting time for Disney. And it is worth talking about and going back to and, and revisiting. So we thought it would be a whole lot of fun to take you on a tour, rather than go through a history of California adventure like everyone else is doing right now, we thought we'd do it differently and not talk about the history of the park post-2001. Just bring you up to 2001 and talk about the park as it was when it opened. And we have an insider to give us a <laughs> on-the-spot perspective because Ruthie was there just a couple days before it officially opened to the public because they had a official pass annual pass holders preview that Ruthie attended so she got to see the park early just a couple days before it officially was dedicated so she saw everything we're going to talk about because this was all there when she went so she is an eyewitness to the original California adventure. So we're going to just sort of sort of take you to something different and take you on a guided tour and walk through the park as if we're there in February of 2001. So let's start at another new thing that was added at the same time that California Adventure was added, and that's uh, the whole area between the two parks was completely redone, and now known as Downtown Disney. And this included the shopping area and two hotels. One was a remodeled hotel from the 50s that was completely remodeled and revised and brought up to date and a brand new luxury hotel that overlooked the new park. So let's talk about this section that we're gonna call Downtown Disney. Just real quick, we're gonna get into more detail when we get into the actual park, but we can't talk about California Adventure without talking about the new Downtown Disney because it was all opened at the same time. So the area that was once the um, area between the parking lot and Disneyland was completely remodeled, restructured. Disney bought all of the land outside of Disneyland between the roadways and everything between the Disneyland Hotel and Disneyland. Catella was the, I think they, it's not even Catella. I think it's called Disneyland Parkway or something now. But Disney originally, Way, I think, Dis yeah. Disney Way, but that was Catella. They bought all that. They built bridges so that now people could walk directly over the, the road to the hotel. And they sort of got rid of the front end of the hotel and turned it into part of the shopping area where the monorail station 
They didn't move the station, but they remodeled it. In fact, they left the monorail. They didn't move any of the monorail. They built all the new things around where the monorail already existed. And uh, so they added all sorts of shopping and um, they had a AMC theater, a huge Megaplex. They had a Lego uh, shop, which I think is still there. They had a huge uh, World of Disney shop, Build-A-Bear, typical shops you find in shopping malls, but larger, and they were independent, separated buildings. It was an outdoor walk around, and all of the buildings were were themed and beautiful on the outside, and just a whole shopping village, inspired by the shopping village in Florida, called Downtown Disney. And this opened just about a month before California Adventure opened in January, early January of 2001. And this is the area that sort of bridges between uh, Disneyland and California Adventure. And then on the opposite side is a transportation area where they have uh, the trams drop off and they have busing and everything and the whole parking lot was removed and now they have parking uh, garages multi-story parking garages located near the Disneyland Hotel where all the parking has been relocated and in addition to that they also had a huge redo of the original Disneyland Hotel. Like I said, they got rid of all the the buildings in the front of the hotel, like the Monorail Cafe and all the shopping areas that were part of the front part of the hotel. They got rid of all that, made that part of Downtown Disney. So the hotel actually starts where the towers are before it sort of started way in front of where that is, where the monorail is. But now it's, um, the hotel sort of starts further back. But anyway, they rethemed the hotel towers to reflect more of the theming inside the actual park. So they had an adventure tower, a frontier tower, and a fantasy tower. And all of the lobbies were redone. So they have artwork and and uh, different uh, models and things from the various lands. So they really made the theme. They themed the Disneyland Hotel, and the theme is Disneyland. So all the things you find in the new Disneyland Hotel sort of have a mid-century Disneyland aesthetic. And so. Um, originally, it was just a hotel, just a generic hotel. It had no theming. It had interesting features, but it didn't have any specific theming. The theming was, this is a hotel. That was the theming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the other thing that Disney did was they actually purchased a uh, hotel that was next door to the Disneyland Hotel. And they rethemed that. It was originally, um, what was the original name of that hotel? Was it just called the Pacific Hotel? I, I think, think it, so. It was and then owned when they by bought it in '95. It they added Disneyland to it. Right, and I think it was owned and operated by Sheraton. 
and mm. Disney purchased it and turned it into a themed hotel and the theme was beachside boardwalk California boardwalk beach culture and this hotel was sort of built overlooking a new area inside California Adventure called Paradise Pier which had that same theme to it so it was all sort of tied into the theming of that part of the park and they redid it and they didn't change the tower or anything they just redid the rooms and remodeled the furnishings and and just added some Disney flourishes and uh, they renamed it the Disneyland Pacific Hotel in 1995 and it became sort of an unofficial extension of California Adventure. But they also built a brand new hotel right in the middle of downtown Disney overlooking uh, California Adventure's um, Golden State, Grizzly Peak Recreation Area. And it tied into that whole theme of North western california like the redwood forests type area it had sort of a rustic northern california feel to it and it was sort of like a wilderness lodge type theme and this was a five-star luxury hotel very very much based on the wilderness lodge in walt disney world they they're very similar the lobbies look very similar and it just has that that craftsman look to it, you know that that uh, rustic log cabin. There's you know you, the lobby has a huge fireplace, and it's it's a it's the other thing that's really unique to the hotel is it has an entrance, a back entrance to the park. So guests staying at the hotel can walk right into the park. It's the first time Disneyland in California sort of has a hotel built inside it technically is inside california adventure because it's themed to fit the theme of the area it's adjacent to so this was an idea that disney first started and when um disneyland paris opened they built a hotel right at the entrance to disneyland paris and uh their version of the disneyland hotel which had a the the theming was tied into main street and uh, so this was sort of, they carried over that concept of having a hotel right at the entrance to a park with this new, this... Uh, Disney's Grand California Disney's Grand California Hotel. Hotel, right. So at the time, they also put in a back entrance at Paradise Pier from the Disneyland Pacific Hotel. So guests staying at the Disneyland Pacific Hotel also had this back entrance where they could enter Paradise Pier only if you were a guest at the hotel. That has since been closed. It no longer, it's still there, but they don't use it anymore. If you're staying at the Pacific Hotel, you have to use the regular front entrance. But when it, when it first opened, they had um, a special entrance for there. But the Disneyland Hotel, because it's not connected to the park, it did not have a special entrance but you could take the monorail to disneyland of course but that's always been the case since the 60s but anyway i just wanted to briefly talk about what was going on at the entrance to the park so now let's start our tour 
So, the park opened on February 8th, 2001. I think you were there on the 6th, right? Two days before I was, it opened? I, was, I know I was in, actually in January I was there, late January. Oh, so it was even so, more than two days before. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I want to say it was like probably like the, the last week of January. Was everything finished? Yeah. Was there anything mm -hmm. they still were painting or anything? Nope. No? Nope, it was all done. Yeah. So anyway, originally the entrance to the park looked completely different than it does now. Now it looks a lot like the Disney Hollywood Studios in Florida. They have the same entrance turnstiles, but originally in the front they designed it to look like an old-fashioned postcard. They had giant letters spelling out the word California, spanning the plaza, and behind it they had these really odd mosaic walls that looked like mountains on either side. And then they had a replica of the Golden Gate Bridge, and directly behind it was this giant metallic sort of sun sculpture and it was all symmetrical and, and if you looked at it from the front of the park it looked like sort of a postcard that was the theme they were going for in fact the whole entrance which was called sunshine plaza was all themed to being sort of a postcard and all the buildings and everything sort of had a postcardy sort of aesthetic that sort of yeah. colorful. The funny thing is you really couldn't get the the idea of what this was supposed to represent unless you were standing directly in the middle of everything. So right. unfortunately the majority of people didn't even realize what they were looking at when they would be entering the park. It just seems like a mishmash of it just didn't have a cohesive design to it from what yeah what yeah. Michael Eisner was there on February 8th, 2001, and this is the opening day dedication that he delivered. Today marks the dawn of a new era in the Disney company. We are about to unveil a new gateway, a gateway to the golden dreams of California, a new state of mind where spirits are free to discover everything under the sun, Disney's California adventure. It is now my honor to read the official dedication. To all who believe in the power of dreams, welcome. Disney's California Adventure opens its golden gates to you. Here we pay tribute to the dreamers of the past, the native peoples, explorers, immigrants, aviators, entrepreneurs, and entertainers who built the Golden State. And we salute a new generation of dreamers who are creating the wonders of tomorrow. From the silver screen to the computer screen, from the fertile farmlands to the far reaches of space, Disney's California Adventure celebrates the richness and the diversity of California. Its land, its people, its spirit, and above all, the dreams that it continues to inspire. So as you heard, he tried to sort of mimic Walt Disney's opening day 
dedication for Disneyland, but you have to sort of roll your eyes because you know he cut all these costs and all these corners, and now yeah. he's trying to make it sound like this magical, whimsical land of fantasy when it's really just not what he's saying it is. But anyway, the park had four lands. One of the lands was divided into six districts, which are sort of distinctively themed areas all within the same land. We'll get to that. So when you first enter the park, you um, came across several gift shops, all sort of with that. The facades were all sort of themed to that postcard aesthetic, sort of, you know, cut out paper images on the sides of plain looking buildings like they had like a giant sun wearing sunglasses and so yeah. they had several different little gift shops all located in this area and this was sort of like their version of Main Street. This is sort of where they had all the guest relations where you sort of got your bearings and then at the end of this section was that huge sun which was sort of a a metallic structure with a big fountain around it and this was sort of like the the landmark of the area and also one thing that's interesting is the monorail crossed over this section of the park and they built a little miniature version of the Golden Gate Bridge for the monorail to pass over. So the monorail went over the Golden Gate Bridge as it went through this part of the park, which is sort of, when you look at it, it looks bizarre, especially because it was a really shortened version of the Golden Gate Bridge. Like the, the two towers were too close to each other and it looked a little bizarre. But, um, so that was this area, and some of the, uh, shops that were located, you want to read some of the names of the shops, Ruthie? They're kind of funny. Yeah, so, um, when you would walk in after you went through the ticket turnstile, so there was guest relations in the restrooms, and then there was shops on your left and right-hand side. On your left-hand side would be this store called Greetings from California and what this was, it was a pretty big store all encompassing different entrances throughout this building that kind of went around the corner. This is the one that had like a, a sun with uh, sunglasses on it. And this just sold like your basic um, souvenirs like that everybody Emporium. would want to get. Yeah, exactly. And then on your right hand side there was a store called Engine Ears Toys. This was a toy shop and this wasn't at the beginning of of California Adventure when they first opened, but I remember a couple of years later they actually had this stand in there where you would you could buy a Mr. Potato Head and you can purchase different actual like costumes to kind of decorate him into different Disney characters. So you could like buy a goofy hat with goofy ears coming down or a Donald Duck bill and make him look like a Donald Duck. So I thought that was really funny I wanted to mention that because that was like a unique toy store and not something that you would normally see in your normal mall or anything like that so those are the two main stores on your left and right and then like Chris said you would have to walk under the Golden Gate Bridge the shortened Golden Gate Bridge into Sunshine Plaza and that's where they had this sun icon and this wave fountain this was supposed to be like your your hub of the park right here 
after you're in that hub area, kind of off to your right a little bit farther, they had this replica of a train, like kind of like a silvery bullet train, and they called it the California Zephyr. And then this housed two food establishments. So it was Bakersfield Bakery and Burbank Ice Cream. And so the bakery was like, you know, snacks and baked goods and things like that, kind of like your cookies, your cupcakes kind of a thing. And then the ice cream was exactly what it sounds like. It was an ice cream place. So these were kind of like snack areas, not so much sitting down and eating. They did have some tables kind of around this area, but it wasn't really like, it was grab and go. It wasn't like a restaurant. And Burbank ice cream was Burbank ice cream. Sort of a play on being cold because it's ice cream. So they had a cute name. And yeah. um, the train was a replica of the trains that were service California in the earlier part of the 20th century and they had sort of a train station that looked like the Los Angeles major train depot which still exists um, and the train was stationary it did not go anywhere it was just you walked into it and that's where you found these different uh, snack areas and uh, so this was all considered the um, Sunshine Plaza and then one other thing they had a parade now the parade went through Sunshine Plaza but it also went into two other areas of the park it also went into the Bountiful Valley Farm section of the um, Golden State and then it ended in Par it went through part of Paradise Pier that was the parade route but it went around the um, main hub of the park. And this was a parade that sort of celebrated California legends and lore and culture. And it was called Eureka, a California Parade. We talked about that parade in detail on an earlier episode of our Dateline Jiminy Crickets uh, podcast. So if you want to get some fun pictures and hear all the fun details about this really bizarre parade it was really strange yeah just like the rest <laughs> just like the rest of california adventure was strange it definitely fit the the feeling and theme of the original california adventure and just how odd and off-putting it seemed So invited to the shore I am so 
spirit, all I wanna be for you. Feel the motion, all I wanna free in you. I'll be here anytime you miss me. I'll be ready. That is the first land. We've talked about it. That's basically everything going on in the first land, which was called Sunshine Plaza, which was part of the Golden Gateway. So that's basically the entrance. It's sort of the main street. So now we can either go to the left or the right. On your right was the Golden State section of the park, and you could enter into Condor Flats, which is one of the six districts within the Golden State. But we're going to first go to the left and enter Hollywood Pictures' back lot, which was themed to Hollywood, and it really didn't have a specific time frame. It was very loosely themed to maybe the golden era of Hollywood, but they made a lot of exceptions and put in a lot of more modern references, and so it was not really a, like, it wasn't like Main Street USA is set at a specific time and they don't stray from that. This was really loosely themed. So anyway, at the entrance, they had this huge marquee that said Hollywood Pictures Backlot, and they had these two huge elephants on these podiums, which are no longer there. But these were representing the Cecil Beads and Mill props that were used for a early silent film. And the actual elephants are located in Hollywood, on Hollywood Boulevard, not too far from the Chinese Theater. But this was sort of replicating that. And so you walked through this archway and you entered Hollywood. And there were several shops throughout the land. There, you know, we don't need to go into what these shops sold because it's the standard thing. Unless it's anything unique, we'll say, but we can just give you the names of some of these shops. There was a little shop when you first entered called Gone Hollywood. A little, um, I think it's still called this. And it's, yeah, I think so. It's near the entrance. It's called Award Wieners, and of course they sell hot dogs. Another shop called Off the Page. And then our first attraction that we hit is... Disney Animation, and this is a huge walk-through attraction with several different stages that you go through. They had, when you first walked in, this huge sort of grand hall with these big uh, video displays of different moments from Disney Animation. 
and then you would look at this and you would hear Disney music and it would sort of get you in this the the feeling for Disney and then you would enter into this uh, section called Drawn to Animation which had several exhibits that sort of showed you how animation is created several clever different sort of hands-on exhibits and then they had a little workshop area where they would teach you they would have actual animators who would teach you how to draw Disney characters and this is called the sources workshop and then the final was a I think it was a video pre uh, a movie you go into a theater and they would show you a, uh, like a 20 minute documentary about the history of Disney animation so this was very similar to the animation exhibit at the Hollywood studio in Florida, but it wasn't an actual living, working animation. Like originally that was a real place where they created animated films, but this never was. It was designed as just an exhibit to sort of honor the spirit of Disney animation. So this was a major exhibit. It took about an hour probably to go through. If you really, I mean, you could go through it faster, but if you really wanted to get the full idea, that was what it was about, about an hour. So it took up a, a, a chunk of your morning. But uh, then as you exited, we would encounter some more eating areas, and there was sort of a whole little eating area. There was schmoozies, sold smoothies. Fairfax Market was sort of a area that was reminiscent of farmer's market in Hollywood. So a lot of these things sort of were takes on different landmarks. And a lot of the buildings were also designed after real buildings in Hollywood. But one of the things they did is they, really to cut costs, but they tried to make it seem like it was, they, it was a choice that they made on purpose. But a lot of the buildings were designed so they looked like facades. So it looked like they were movie sets. So they'd have fronts, but then like the back would be scaffolding and stuff. So they were like unfinished buildings. They tried to make it seem like that was intentional. But really, they really did it because they were being cheap. <laughs> to put it quite bluntly. Yeah. So straight ahead, there was a huge indoor theater. And... It was sort of at the end of the main walkway, and it sort of was a what they call a weenie drawing you. And they had a very interesting painted mural that was designed to look like the actual sky. So it looked like it was part of the actual environment. It, it didn't. It. I mean, on a nice sunny, bright day, it might fool your eye, but if there was even a cloud in the sky, you could tell the mural was not matching the real sky. But they just sort of built part of, again, they just sort of, instead of building this whole big theater, they just built a wall and painted it, and then put part of the theater in front of it. They didn't even really have a lobby. The, the way to wait for the show was you had to wait outside. And then you, when you went into the building, you were right in the theater. There was no lobby area. This was called the Hyperion Theater. And Hyperion, for those who don't know, is the name of the street where the... Not the original, but the second Disney studio was located. The one where they 
um, made Snow White and all the early Mickey shorts and Silly Symphonies. It was on Hyperion Avenue in Burbank. So that's, I think, where they came up with that name. And it is modeled after the, an, a real theater in Los Angeles, I think called the Los Angeles Concert Hall, if I'm not mistaken. Now this is uh, where they now play the Frozen musical, but originally they had a live show called Steps in Time.
This was a very bare bones, very minimal set. Everyone had the same costume, basically black pants and like a bright colored shirt and reds and, and oranges. And it was sort of no frills and they just played a bunch of Disney songs and danced. It didn't have any fancy sets. It had one set, it didn't change. It was a, you know, it was a Disney music review and, and the, the whole thing about it was it was just a dance review and showed all sorts of phenomenal dancing. So that lasted just a couple of years and then it eventually got replaced. It's been four shows that have played in this theater. This was the first, the original show. Now they had Hollywood and Dine restaurant, which is they have that exact same restaurant in Hollywood Studios in Florida. Now this one was actually kind of like a like a mall kind of a, a food court kind of a thing. I don't think that's the same thing that they have in Hollywood Studios, but that's what this one was. It had like different, like four different windows that you can go and order different types of food, Chinese food and, uh, you know, Mexican food and those kind of things all under one roof. So California Adventure was notorious for having a lot of eating places and not enough people to actually eat in them. <laughs> and this was actually one of the first restaurants that closed when they realized that they didn't have enough people um, going to this restaurant. Also because it was in the back part of the park and so it was not an area that was easily you know, visited as well. So they also nearby had a dark ride. I think this is the only like real, what you could consider dark ride that was there on opening day. Yeah. Originally, they had different plans for this. Their first thinking was that it would be a replica of the Great Movie Ride, which is a was a terrific attraction, detailed, full Disney theming attraction at Disney Hollywood Studios in Florida. Then they decided that was too expensive and the budget was cut. So they changed it to what kind of a it wasn't exactly what it became but much closer to what it became and it was sort of like a you were the paparazzi chasing after Hollywood celebrities but then Princess Diana had um, passed away because of a paparazzi stalking car chase incident so they decided it would be distasteful to open an attraction basically with that theme. So they had to completely rework the whole theme and it became what was there on opening day. One of the most notorious Disney attractions of all time. Ruthie had the opportunity to experience it. Uh, I never did, but I've heard about it. It's legendary for how awful it was. <laughs> it was called Superstar Limo. Ruthie, tell us about Superstar Limo and what you remember and what your impressions are. <laughs> this attraction was crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was full of these not... I wouldn't go as far as to say audio animatronic, but it had these characters, these mannequins, caricatures, yes, <laughs> yeah. of these, that slightly these, moved, <laughs> right? Exactly, Mo moved back and forth or whatever, and they yeah. smiled. Maybe their, you know, their eyes blinked or something like that. Yeah. And they were all caricatures of actual live people, famous people, such as 
Oprah Winfrey and Whoopi Goldberg and Cher and Drew Carey. Melanie uh, Griffith. Tim the, yeah, Melanie Griffith and when she was still um, married to Antonio Banderas, they're together as a couple in that attraction. Regis Philbin. Yeah, Regis Philbin. <laughs> uh, Tim the Tool Man, Taylor. I mean, that was, you know, um, Tim All Allen. the ABC, all yeah. the celebrities that were doing projects affiliated with ABC or Disney at that time were sort of represented. So it was very inside baseball. It was very self-promotion type stuff. And also they couldn't get anybody that wasn't affiliated with Disney to... They probably didn't even try because they didn't want to pay them. So it was just people already in with Disney that they said, hey, can you read a few lines and then we'll put you in a Disney ride? So they were like, sure. They probably spent all of an hour recording their dialogue and then they walked away <laughs> yeah. from the project. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the the whole... You, you got into like what looked like a limousine and then there, you had a, a TV monitor on the dashboard and it was sort of like a guy saying we have to get to the premiere yeah uh, it was so like this puppet character yeah yes he was very weird looking but apparently this was supposed to be originally it was going to be michael eisner yeah. in this position but after when he actually saw the attraction he realized he didn't want to be associated with it so they had to replace him with this weird looking puppet guy and it was and sort of really. like a, a real, <laughs> like an Italian American, like really mafioso kind of cheesy. Hey, let's do lunch, kind of like really yeah. slimy, yeah, used car salesman type, <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny, like the you have to see him because it's he's really gross, like looking in a weird like puppet way. Like they they probably put makeup on this puppet. It's just weird, yeah. weird looking. And so he kind of comes on the screen and tells you, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to drive through Hollywood. And, you know, supposedly in this attraction, they're making a film. You're going through different scenes that are set up as they're filming. So you go through like different cities and that's where all these different famous people pop out at you. And you're supposed to like be, you know, paparazzi taking a picture of them. And I remember this one scene was like a, like a monster movie was being made and these legs were hanging down from the ceiling, but it wasn't like a whole body of a, of a monster. So I guess it was, you were like seeing how they created this illusion of a monster being larger than everybody else, but it was really just the legs. It was very weird. <laughs>
Well, that attraction only lasts, it didn't even last a year before it yeah. closed. Because the public was horrified. It was just not, it was, it, a lot of people complained about how awful it was. And today, it's where Mo the Monsters, Monsters Inc. Sully to the Rescue attraction is currently located. Which um, I love that attraction, so I am very glad they, that they changed it. <laughs> they reused a lot of the the figures and just put new new coverings over them so that they look like characters from Monsters Inc. instead of Hollywood celebrities. But they had a stage area uh, near uh, the Superstar Limo, and they had a show there. Lights, camera, action, or something like chaos. that. Lights, camera, chaos. It was sort of a live show that played on this little outdoor staging area throughout the day. And then walking, kind of, this is sort of a dead end, so we're going to make a circle back to, to leaving the land, and on our way back, we're going to pass by uh, another attraction called uh, Muppet Vision 3D, and this is the exact same thing that was originally opened in um, Disney's Hollywood Studios in, I think, in 1991 in Florida. So this was the theater and everything once you got into the main theater. The, the queue area and the holding area were, were different, similar, but different. The outdoor of the theater looked completely different, but once you got inside the main theater, it was identical in every way to the one in Florida. And it was basically, they like to call it 4D, because it has a 3D film playing, but then there's all these in-theater special elements that they add, like smoke effects and um, Sweetums, the monster from the uh, Muppet Show, comes out as a walk-around character and walks around the theater at one point. And so there's elements beyond what's going on on the movie. And then they also have these special walls that um, they have projections on them, so at certain points it looks like the bricks have been demolished on the walls in the theater and because there's a big explosion at the end. And interestingly, this is the last project that Jim Henson worked on before he passed away. So all of the, the voices that were once provided by Jim Henson that aren't anymore are actually Jim Henson. The real original voice of Kermit, for example, is heard in this film, which is sort of a special thing. But um, it's a really fun film. It stayed in the park for a long time. But the thing is, with these film attractions, the redoing ability of them sort of dwindles. After you've seen it one or two times, it's like, I've seen it, it's the same thing. It's not like Pirates, where you go on it, and every time you see something new and it's different, these filmed attractions sort of don't have the staying power that the other things do. And the other thing is, this was not anything original. This was definitely a cost-cutting, let's plop this in here. It doesn't fit the theme of Hollywood in any way, other than the fact that the Muppets were produced in Hollywood. 
I mean, and that sometimes they do Hollywood-themed segments on the show. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it really was out of place. But it lasted forever. But now the theater is still there, but they don't show the Muppets in there anymore. They mainly show previews of coming attractions in this theater. And they, for a time, they were showing the previews some of the time. And then other times when there was nothing to preview, they would put back the Muppet Vision, but I think they're going to put in, they're going to replace it. I think they might have already officially, I think they did already, but then the parks closed, so it didn't last too long. They put in the Mickey's Magic. Yeah, they this, did. In this space. So officially, that's what it is now. suffered only minor damage. So thank you very much for coming to see this demonstration of Muppet Vision technology and enjoy the rest of your stay and come see us again sometime.
Of course, nearby there was a shop, Rizzo's Prop and Pawn Shop, a Muppet Shop, and of course they hardly sold any Muppet merchandise. Because this, yeah. this was the era when they started selling generic. You'd find the same merchandise in all the gift shops. Because all this cost-cutting, they didn't want to diversify in what merchandise they sold. They just wanted to sell stuff that moved. They, had not, they didn't want to theme the merchandise. They just wanted like stuff that people would buy and not consider the theme. So, on our way out, we're going to stop and have lunch at a special restaurant which no longer can be found in the park and it was probably one of the most upscale luxurious sort of places to eat in the park one of the most fancy schmancy places to eat at uh, this park when it first opened and this was interesting because it was called the um, ABC Soap Opera Bistro and all of the dining areas were former sets that were built for various soap operas that were featured on ABC television. So, you know, they'd have a, like an outdoor gazebo that was featured on All My Children or whatever. I don't know what soap operas were on ABC. So, I, It was All My Children, One Life to Live, and General Hospital. Yeah, so like they'd have different scenes and things from and then they would have all the food was sort of themed to uh, various soap operas and things. And then they sort of would sometimes have uh, guest visitors. They'd have like stars from the soap operas come and, and do signings and stuff and meet and greets. And so, I mean, soap operas are a very niche entertainment type of thing like you either love them or you can't stand them there's really no middle ground i personally can't stand soap operas i've never liked them i can't even look at one without being revolted i can't i just do not like that type of entertainment i don't like the whole celebrity culture around that style of entertainment I don't like how everybody is like beautiful and wears beautiful clothes and everybody's rich and they don't have any normal people. I just, I'm not into that. It's not my thing. And uh, so I, I probably would not have wanted to eat here, but just for fun, let's, because we're at a new park, let's have <laughs> lunch and let's, uh, let's read some of the items on the menu. We have a menu here. And some of the names of these things are really funny. And some of the prices are like, I'm looking at the prices and some of them are like, wow, that's expensive. And this was 20 years ago. So I'm like, this must have been a really fancy place to eat. Because the first thing is an appetizer. They have a, a list of appetizers that they call appetizers. And the very first thing on the menu is like $13 an appetizer and it's called tuna in tomorrow so it's tuna fish what did they do to this tuna fish to make it worth 13 dollars? i don't think it's tuna i think it's like ahi tuna kind of like that kind of a thing not so much like tuna fish salad or something like that yeah i'll pass on 13 dollars, especially 20 years ago that'd be like 18 dollars now i'll pass on an appetizer that costs that much money no thank you 
especially I'm not I'm not into fish. I'm not a fish person. I mean, I like it, but not that much. A that. Um, so all of the names have sort of a tongue-in-cheek, cause like tuna in tomorrow, tune in tomorrow, and then <laughs> some of them are just weird names. They have conniving calamari, and then you know Erica Kane from All My Children, Erica's artichoke platter. <laughs> <laughs> Cheating chicken satay. What a ham pizza. These are just the appetizers. Roasted garlic chicken pizza. That Ta doesn't get a special name there. <laughs> no, that's sort of just what it is. And the Tad yeah. Tad's. I guess Tad was a character on one of the uh, one of the yeah. soap operas. Tad's lob lobster gazpacho. The lobster is cheaper than the tuna. The well, lobster it's gazpacho. was So it's like a cold soup basically. Yeah, but it's got lobster in it. I would I would pay that before I would pay for tuna for $13, even if it's fancy tuna. Okay, so then they have green with envy. I guess these are the salads. Greek get it green with envy, green for salad. <laughs> so uh Asa's, I guess that was a character. Asa. Asa, Asa's, Asa's yeah. salmon salad for $14. I love salmon, but not that much. Nora's endive salad. Scheming spinach salad. And then here's the <laughs> here's the best one. One leaf to live. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have descriptions. I just have the names. Yeah. So I don't know what was in one leaf to live salad one can only imagine so yeah. then the main the main entrees are called main affairs get it affairs because everybody's <laughs> cheating on everybody else in these soap operas so i'm only going to read the funny ones because there's yeah. some of them are just named like just normal names but i will say the most expensive item on the menu was 24 dollars and it was sea bass and noodles. That sounds disgusting to me. <laughs> well, sea bass is good, and, and that's why. It's but not with noodles. Like, I know, not with noodles. Why would you want to eat sea bass with noodles? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, just I would. I a good a good, you know, catch of the day, piece of fish, in a fancy restaurant. Okay, I can see paying that, but not when it's served with noodles. Just don't even mention If it is served with noodles, just don't mention it. <laughs> don't make yeah. it part of the... Okay, so... Um, we have Vicky Cedar Plank Salmon. I guess Vicky... See, a lot of these are named after characters. Yeah, from the Vicky's from One Life to Live. Bo's Pork Loin Chops. Jubilant Jambalaya. And here's a funny one. Hunky yeah, Rib one. Eye Steak. <laughs> a ribeye steak, not eye steak. That's <laughs> ooh, yeah. gross. Eye steak, ribeye steak. Plot twist pasta. <laughs> <laughs> now this is probably what I would order because this actually sounds pretty good. It doesn't. I'm only mentioning it because this is what I would probably get if I was eating. Uh, was poached chicken and dumplings. That sounds pretty good. Um, and then saucy beef short ribs short ribs and then um they had roasted chicken so then they had adventure meals 
for actors and actresses nine and younger. <laughs> so it's a kid's menu. So they had tangled spaghetti with meatballs, tangy popcorn chicken, that sounds nasty, cheese-alicious pepperoni or cheese pizza. Uh, I don't know if I'd want my kid to eat any of that. I'd be like, let's go someplace <laughs> where we have healthy options for my kid. I mean, I well, can eat, I don't care what I eat, but I, I would at least want my kid to have good eating habits. Maybe teach them something I didn't learn. So if I had a child, back in I would... 2001, they didn't have as many healthy options. <laughs> That's true kids. too. So that is the uh, dinner, but we're not having dinner. We're we're here for for lunch. So here what is what was on the lunch menu. So perfect couples. These are um, I guess they're two different things that are paired together. So they called it perfect couples. Um, it, it's basically an entree and then it came with a bistro salad so that was the second thing so it was this plus the bistro salad and it had the hot and steamy chicken what a hand pizza or soup and then green with envy salads again and we have the scheming spinach salad and one leaf to live and you could get the one leaf to live with or without grilled chicken it was an extra <laughs> An extra three two dollars for the grilled if you added grilled chicken, and then had the main affairs, and then it had the same children's options, which were called adventure meals for children nine or younger. And I think tangy popcorn chicken would be an adventure meal for me. <laughs> I might not make it to the end of that adventure. <laughs> so that is um, a look at the soap opera bistro which i just find to be such a bizarre concept what are you thinking on i i would i would if we went there for real in 2001 i don't think i would really want any part of eating there it, it would not be of interest to me are you a soap opera person or so i used feel? to be when, okay. I, when i was a teenager i watched all these abc Soap see, I so can I see it. I can see it having appeal to a teenager who doesn't have yeah. a fully developed mind. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I used to like um, when I was off to high school, I would record these, and then come home and oh, watch yeah. them after school. So and I watched them. You know, all my children when life to live. General Hospital. General Hospital was my favorite, and um, I did kind of hang on to that one. I'll t tell you how old that show is. My mother told me she used to watch that while she was pregnant with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's been around a long time. Yeah. And I think, I feel like it might be the one that's still kind of I think on it's still on, now. but all my children yeah. ended after decades recently. Yeah, I wouldn't like to live even before that. So, yeah, yeah these are... But General Hospital is still yeah. on, yeah. <laughs> Love in the but, afternoon. All right. Go yeah, so I would watch those, and <laughs> I actually kind of think that this is a really funny, unique style for a restaurant, and the way that they have the sets. There's some pictures online you can see if you're it is curious. Pretty you should it go definitely check, is check pretty it inside. It's yeah. not cheesy. It, it looks like fun. a nice place. Yeah. You know, I think it's. I kind of equate it similar to like the. Um, you know the drive-in theater restaurant that they have at Hollywood Studios in Florida. 
you know, something like really unique and out of the ordinary kind of a thing. And I think when I went, I don't think this was actually open oh. because we. Well, you were there the, before the. Yeah, the park wasn't opening. open officially yeah. yet, so I don't right. think this was open. So I didn't actually go to this restaurant. And then when I would go to California Adventure later, when it was open normally, not a past preview. preview, the building, the outside of this building looked so plain, you don't realize what was in there. And I think that was part of the problem, too. Yeah. is it just looks like a plain old blue building and you didn't know how cool it was inside. Yeah. You had to have somebody else tell you, oh, go in there. They have good food and it's really cool in there. And so this this place closed pretty soon after the park too. It, was, it wasn't even open for two years. They hung on a little bit longer, but still they, you know, I, I think like you said, it was kind of a niche thing to, you know, cater to. Yeah. And not a lot of people, you know, this wasn't when the internet was big, so not a lot of people were out there talking about how cool it was in there. So yeah. it's unfortunate. I kind of, I like the idea, but, you know, I understand why it didn't last. So now we're going to go back out into Sunshine Plaza and walk across to the other side of the park and enter Golden State. And the first section, now the Golden State is divided into six districts. So the first district we're going to go through is still there today. It's seen some updates and some retheming, but the basic infrastructure is the same. And this is called Condor Flats. And this is where the fame, one of the best attractions that was there on opening day, and it's still there, although it's slightly changed. We'll talk about that was soaring over California. But this was sort of a whole aviation theme. And aviation, for those who don't realize, is a big part of California history. There's a lot of uh, famous uh, world records in aviation. A lot of um, airplane plants are located in California. A lot of famous pilots. And California has a definite tie-in with the history of aviation. So they had a restaurant called Taste Pilot's Grill and then nearby was the main attraction which was called Soarin' Over California and this was a special sort of flight simulator and you sat in a suspended lift that moved around slightly and gave you the illusion of flying through space because it showed a film that completely surrounded you, your peripheral vision, and, and they would blow wind on you and, and pump in different smells. And they took you on a tour of the state of California. Now this is still there, but now it's called Soarin' Around the World. It's a different film and instead of taking you over California landmarks, it takes you throughout the whole world. This was also later opened in Epcot Center, but um, for a brief time they brought back the original film and it was really popular. I have a feeling they might bring it back again, because people really enjoy the original film much better. People say it was much better made and it's just overall a better experience. Now I've only seen Soarin' Around the World because I saw it at Epcot a couple years ago. I never got to see it in uh, California Adventure. What are your, what were your impressions the first time you wrote it, Ruthie? Do you remember how 
what what you thought of it the first time? Well, I remember sitting in that seat and not knowing that it was going to move. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then when it moved, and you're not I was like, ah! like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and I didn't realize what it was doing, but um, I, luckily I was not at the top. I think I was in the right. middle the first time the I wrote it. Yeah. Um, so it's not the worst. There, I think there's three the rows either. on each yes. yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was like, I did start screaming a little bit when it moved, but um, yeah. but overall, and then I was, you know, and then they kind of move you close to the screen. So you kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm really in this. But I kind of, once you're in there and you're seated. Once you get used you kind to the of sensation. Hit, yeah. 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 At first, it's a little off-putting, and you're like, "Oh my God, it's, you're a little disoriented." Especially yeah. if you're like Ruthie, me, you're not fans of heights, because yeah. I know that the they, because I've heard people say the new one, the soaring around the world. At the beginning, I think you go over the um, Eiffel Tower towards the beginning, and people say that that's like really a lot more frightening than anything that happens in the original film and i remember going on it and being a little concerned because it seemed like oh my god it really felt like you were going really high and i i was a little freaked out but yeah, yeah. no i've seen both of them my preference is definitely soaring over california the last time i went to disneyland and obviously dca when i went to california in 2019 summer of 2019 they had the Soarin' Over California. So I think they kind of flip-flop back and forth there at DCA, but I went on the Soarin' Over California one again, and and I specifically asked to be in the bottom row. And, um, <laughs> but I actually really liked it. Like, it's it's a fun attraction, and it's definitely something that you want to experience, and, and I prefer the California version myself. I would argue that it was probably the best thing there on opening day. Yeah, yeah, probably.
now we're going to go around the corner a little bit, enter another uh, district of the Golden State called Grizzly Peak Recreation Area. And this area is sort of themed to the wilderness, sort of north, northern California, redwood forest, redwood yeah. forest mm -hmm. sort of thing. Because California is a very diverse state as far as environmental areas. Mm -hmm. You've got beaches, you've got mountains, you've got big major cities, you've got basically everything. So this was representing the, the mountainous areas, the foresty areas, and there were two attractions, one major e-tickets type attraction and a little uh, shop that tied in with all of this. Now this was the location of what is one of California Adventure's sort of landmark structures and that is Grizzly Peak which is a huge mountainous structure that looks like a mountain range and it's shaped like a grizzly bear which is the California state animal I believe. The grizzly bear is on the California flag I think it's like the official state animal. Don't, I could be wrong, but I think it is. California has a huge connection to grizzly bears because that's where they are in northern, north, the northern part of the state is sort of the, the epicenter of the grizzly bear population. So Grizzly River Run is a Roaring Rapids style attraction. The same type of attraction you'll find it Knott's Berry Farm or Magic Mountain. There's one in Disney's Animal Kingdom, which is themed to the jungles of India. This one is themed to the northwestern frontier, and you basically are riding the rapids, and it's an attraction where you get wet. So it's a great one for a hot summer day and not such a good one for a cold winter afternoon. But February, when we're in the park today, is probably not the best time to experience this attraction. But we want to see everything because it's all new to us. So we <laughs> do experience Grizzly River Run and we get soaked. And for the next two hours when we walk around, it's squish, squish, squish. <laughs> yeah. Our sneakers are squishing. But um, the thing is... So this is a beautiful attraction, the landscaping. It's a fully themed, full-out Disney experience. Not unlike Big Thunder Mountain, but they sort of didn't go any further than they should have. They should have added some animatronics. There's no animals to be seen. It's very bare bones. They sort of didn't do any more than the minimum that was expected. Which is something that can be said for most of the things in this park on opening day. Mm -hmm.
nearby, they had a Redwood Creek Challenge Trail. And this was a series of different activities and different climbing things and different bridges. And it was sort of like a version of Tom Sawyer Island, but a little bit better and a little bit more thought out. And, you know, they had rope bridges. And this is still there. I think it's been rethemed to the characters from Up. But this um, is still there. And they use it a lot for the Halloween trails. They put stuff mm -hmm. around there for that. So, um, yeah, fun idea. Definitely fits the theme of the area. I would have to say that Grizzly Peak was one of the better parts of the park on opening day. And also one of the least changed parts right. of the park. Yeah. Because they really did it. They really put more into this part than some of the other areas. And then they had Rustlin' River Outfitters, which sold sort of stuff themed to the whole, you know, nature and redwood forest type theme. Of course, they just sold Mickey Mouse hats and sippy cups and <laughs> pins. <buttons>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so nearby is another section which... They really sort of dropped the ball on this. They really yeah. could have done so much more. And this is supposed to represent San Francisco, but it was really just a row of buildings and then one theater. And the theater had that, uh, you know, near the Walt Disney Family Museum, there's that the same structure, the full-size one is in the same park where the Disney Family Museum is. I forget what it's called. It's this big dome-like structure, and this is the entrance to this big theater, and it played a film, and today this is where The Voyage of the Little Mermaid is located. But originally, inside this theater was a multimedia film, mostly a film that did have some other elements to it that we'll talk about, and it was uh, called Golden Dreams, and it was sort of a celebration and retelling of the history of California and its diversity and its people. And they really went into a lot of like the different ethnicities that make up California that are often not talked about or overlooked, like the immigrant peoples that have been an important part, like Chinese Americans and, and uh, uh, Mexican Americans and people that are you know, it, it sort of highlights them. And it is hosted by Califia, I guess is the Queen of California, who was played by who, Ruthie? Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> so on either side of the screen, they had these columns that looked like a statue. And if you looked at it, it was like, hey, that statue's face looks like Whoopi Goldberg. And then during the film, the statue, they'd use projections and the statues would come to life. And then she would enter the film and interact with what's going on with the film. Did you see this? So this I didn't see. I, I had heard about it, but I didn't actually end up seeing it. So, I mean, I actually never saw it. So even, not even the first day, but just like my multiple you know, visits going back to the park. I, ne I never had a chance to go see it. I just, I guess it wasn't very, anything that I was really interested in at the time. So I didn't end up going to see it. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a laugh riot. It sounds The other thing, 
Yeah, the other thing still about this is like they have these buildings and yes, the the dome is really interesting, but you don't really know what's inside. They're not doing a good job of really marketing what is in there. And they making had people a really beautiful there. mural on the side of the building mm -hmm. that sort of showed different things about California, but it wasn't really clear that that was what was inside the building, you know. Right. It was just, and the fact it was in this like bay area, and it had like, you know, the the beginning of um, Full House, where they show where yeah. they live. It's those buildings that are actually yes. in, yeah, in like San the Francisco, right? Yeah. It's just a mm -hmm. row of those buildings, and I don't think there's they're just facades. I don't think there's even anything inside of them. Maybe restaurants. No, I don't think so either. And I always wondered why is that there? Because <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want to go in there. Yeah. But you can't. Right. <laughs> so, I don't know. Before we move on, this actually, the original plan for this attraction was going to be way bigger than what it turned out to be. It was actually going to be like an audio animatronic show on the level of the American Adventure in Epcot. Where they were going to really go into the history of California, but, you know, being told by audio animatronics of different historical people things on that level and i'm really upset that they didn't actually end up doing that and that they cut the budget on that and just ended up having a film it's kind of you know frustrating that these are the kind of things that we could have had that would have been way more interesting to way more people if they would have actually just put a little bit more money into it then that would have been really cool to have One dream We come from everywhere With just one dream This home is where We all can share Just one dream One day I still believe If we can see
Adjacent to the Bay Area, sort of fitting in with the theme of San Francisco, is the Pacific Wharf District. And this was basically a food court, a glorified yeah. food court. Just filled with different restaurants and eating areas and all sort of themed to like a fisherman wharf type, industrial type air, seaside area. And... Um, they had several restaurants, and then they had two food-related walk-through tours that are, I guess, considered attractions, but they're more advertisements for these companies. And then they serve, they give you samples of their, of the types of foods that they make. One of them being the Mission Tortilla Factory, where you see how they make tortillas. And then the other was the Boudin Bakery. Well, the bakery focused more on the San Francisco tradition of sourdough bread. Right. And then they would give you samples of sourdough bread at the end, which were really good. But <laughs> So then around the bend from there, going sort of back towards the um, Sunshine Plaza was a huge area which later became a bug's land but originally it was called bountiful valley farm and this was sort of a celebration of california's agricultural history and 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 you know all the different types of farming that goes on in the state of california and again just mostly restaurants and um and shopping areas, but they also had some like fun little interactive exhibits throughout the area. Like they had, you could climb on different tractors and things, and you could see like different things growing. And they also had like a little area kids could run around, and they had like water hoses squirting everywhere, and a way you could get cooled off during summer. And uh, then they had um, a major attraction called It's Tough to Be a Bug, which was the exact same film that was created for Disney's Animal Kingdom and played inside the Tree of Life Theater. So this was another recycled attraction from another park. The building and everything surrounding the theater was very... You know, not very well themed, just sort of generic building. And then once you get inside the theater, it was an exact copy of the one in Florida. Much more detailed on in, once you get into the theater. It looks like you're underground, like in an insect place. But it was a three, another 3D film, so two 3D films made up the attraction lineup. So out of all the major attractions, two of them were 3D films on opening day. So this was a film that talked about how insects are important and, um, you know, to the whole, to, you know, we couldn't live without them because of all the important things they do. And that it had a lot of smells that would come, you know, they'd play, when the stink bug came out, they'd play the blast out stink bug smell. 
and various things. And then they would have, it would feel like bugs were crawling on you. They'd blow air on your ankles and things. So, sort of, a, and then they would turn the lights out and make you think there was some bug crawling around to kind of freak you out. So, again, more like a 4D experience. And also, the same thing would happen here that would happen with the um, Muppet Vision. They would eventually start showing movie previews here. So they, could, they would only show it's tough to be a bug part of the time. Now this whole area has closed and that theater is closed and it's going to become the Marvel section of the park. So it's tough to be a bug no longer exists, but it can still be seen. It's still the original is still in Florida. We're pollinators! We're pollinators! Yep, like vegetables. Fresh fruit and flowers. Get next to us, Bob's for our marvelous powers. If it weren't for the fact that we like the taste, you'd be out there wallowing in shoulder-high waist. Shoulder-high waist! And So that's Bountiful Valley Farm, very short-lived area because only less than two years later it would become a bug's land. But it had a Bugs, uh, bug's Life themed attraction in this area from opening day. And they, they kept it because it was part of the new land. So that attraction was the only real thing that stayed when it became a bug's land. And then nearby they had sort of a celebration of California's wine country called the Golden Vine Winery. And here they had a walkthrough exhibit. It showed you a film about how, you know, how wine is produced in California. And then you could actually see different parts of winemaking going on and walk through and see that. And then this eventually closed down and became the Blue Sky Cellar where they would start showing coming attractions. And when California Adventure was gonna undergo its major expansion, they showed models and, and um, illustrations of all the coming attractions for Cars Land and all the, th you know, Toy Story Midway Mania and all the things that they were gonna later add to the park. There was also a really nice restaurant in this area. Actually, a few restaurants all sort of interconnected Again, this park was all about the restaurants, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and these were some of the nicer restaurants in the park. Yeah. I remember, too, um, this area, they actually did have some um, grapevines that they were growing in on a plot of land right around this area as well. So it was pretty interesting. I don't know if they actually made their own wine, because I don't know how long like the it took for those grapes to grow. But it was actually... Quite nicely themed, I thought. But yeah, it was just mostly about wine.
So now we're going to go back up to the southern part of the park and because um, it's it's uh, the southern is the top part because it's facing the opposite direction of Disneyland so um, that would be Paradise Pier and this is a area themed to the Santa Monica Pier and all the different boardwalk type beachside places throughout California definitely a beach boardwalk you know seaside carnival type atmosphere mm -hmm. so 
The first place you sort of come across as you're entering this land, as you leave the um, Pacific Wharf area, is a big restaurant, another restaurant, that was originally called Avalon Cove. And this was actually um, operated by the famed chef Wolfgang Puck. He didn't last long. Eventually, this became more of a Disney-themed restaurant. I think it was themed to the Little Mermaid after a while. Yeah, it was Ariel's Grotto. And later, it became a Pixar-themed restaurant. So they would have character breakfasts in here when you could meet with the characters from the Little Mermaid. But it was just sort of a fancy little seaside feel. And... The whole Paradise Pier was built around a big man-made lake that they made to sort of give it that feeling of being along the beach. And they actually, in the beginning, had uh, wave machines to give the feeling that there was waves and it was the actual ocean. Today, this is the water where they put on the wonderful World of Color show. Um, mm -hmm. So they no longer operate the waves because they have all the, the things underwater that, that operate the, the show, so they can't have the waves anymore. But originally, this is just a big open area of water with nothing in it, so they had the wave machines. So, as you walk through this land, you would come across various gift shops. Definitely has the feeling of the opening scene from Three's Company where they were walking around the, the boardwalk. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, then they have the different games where you would, like, toss balls and, you know, different, you know, those different types of games you would find. They call that Games of the Boardwalk. They had a T-shirt place, you know, fun photo places, different snack stands like fish and chips. And then they had a carousel that was themed to the Little Mermaid called King Triton's Carousel. And the carousel music that played, they could sort of hear throughout the whole area, was all different songs, like songs, popular songs from the 50s, 60s about California. So like California Dreamin' and those types of songs were all set to sort of carousel calliope style music. And then another major attraction was the Sun Wheel. This was based on a, a Ferris wheel in Coney Island. And you had two options. You could ride just the stationary regular cars on the on the edges or inside the the circle. They had cars that swayed from side to side and back and forth. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to get on that. I would never. I People who love roller coasters, because this is still there. It's called Mickey's Fun Wheel now, but it's the same attraction it always was, but it just has a different... Instead of having a sun on the side of it, now it has the picture of Mickey Mouse on the side of it. But um, people who love roller coasters are just scared to death of this. Like, it is a different... It is an extreme thing. So, I, I don't even like regular Ferris wheels. Because I don't like heights. And I don't like being stuck up on the thing. Like, when they're loading and unloading people and then they stop it and you're stuck there. I hate that. 
So I'm not into this. I, I, I'm not a fan of, of Ferris wheels, but I would never get on those swaying cars. How do you feel? Have you ever ridden this? I did ride this. <laughs> this was on our during our preview day. Um, I rode California Screaming and Sunwheel, and I have never gone on those either of those attractions again. <laughs> um, I did ride the Sunwheel in a moving cart, and I was screaming the whole time. And um, my sister has a picture of me, like I'm like Crying literally grabbing tears. onto one, my friend's arm, like. Ah, like screaming like yes my eyes are shut I did not look during the time I don't know how they convinced me to get up on there um, maybe just because I was a you lot younger realize, but... and you didn't realize what, what it was, it was yeah weird. but yeah like I said I have never been on this since I will never go on it again on both of those California Screaming too. even though it's a completely you know it's a different themed attraction now and I'm interested in that and seeing that, not enough to go on the attraction. <laughs> I'm good. There is one attraction that no longer exists that was in this land called the Malaboomer. And this was sort of a free fall attraction. It's just like a, a big tower that you rode up to the top and then they dropped you down to the bottom. Give you like the sensation of falling. I think that when they opened Tower of Terror a few years later, this sort of became an irrelevant attraction. And it also was sort of an eyesore. It just looked like a big scaffolding. And it really didn't add much aesthetically. So they just sort of got rid of it after, after Tower of Terror opened. And uh, the thing I have to say about this part of the park is Walt Disney would not be pleased. The whole reason he built Disneyland was to avoid this type of environment. And for them to put this right next door to his park would be, is sort of an insult to Walt Disney because the whole reason he built Disneyland was to get away from what a traditional amusement park is. And then they go ahead and put in a tradition, a section of this park that is basically just a traditional amusement park with off the shelf, you know, carnival rides. So it's really not. It's really, you know, they've done a better job now because they've rethemed it. They've made it more turn of the 20th century. But when it first mm -hmm. opened, it was just present day. They weren't trying to make it any special theme. It was just, it was really insulting to Disney, to, to Disneyland, put this in the park. So anyway, the other thing they had was called the Orange Stinger. It looked like a giant orange and inside they had uh it was one of those swinging chair things that lifts you up and you go around in a circle on a chair and uh, i'm not a fan of these type of attractions either i wouldn't want to go on this did you go on this i did not go on this <laughs> so somehow i had i still had some sort of a decision ability there but yeah i didn't go on this i don't like these kind of swing um, attractions ever. Apparently, originally, the first, I guess, month or so that this was open, the swings were actually shaped like a B. Yes. And they didn't last very long. They ended up having to switch them out to regular swings. So now this is still there, but they got rid of the outside part of it, which looked like an orange. And now it's the Silly Symphony swings, and it's themed to 
the Disney, the Mickey Mouse short, which was not a silly symphony, so it's kind of an odd name. Yeah. <laughs> called The Band Concert, which was Mickey Mouse's first color short, and it was about a hurricane, or a tornado, I should say. So, um, it, now that's the theme of it. And they play the William Tell Overture while you're going around. I think originally the music was like bees buzzing as you mm -hmm. rode around. So that's still there, but it's changed. And then um, the other uh, thing that was sort of an eyesore and not really a great thing to have in a Disney park was a McDonald's. And they had it was called Burger Invasion, and it was just basically a McDonald's inside a Disney park. <laughs> and it sort of they made it look like a alien ship had landed, and the the ship looked like a giant hamburger. And then they had they sort of made it an interactive playing area where they had swings and slides and things. And then there was also like a um, little area called SS Rustworthy nearby that was a, it looked like a, a ship, a, like a, a ship that had washed ashore after a, a shipwreck. And it had like slides and swings and it was just sort of a children's play area. So um, they also had a early um, landmark for this area was the Dinosaur Jack Sunglass Shack, which was this giant pink and yellow polka dotted dinosaur that was served as a building and he was wearing giant sunglasses and down at the bottom of the building they sold sunglasses. And then they had a corn dog place, a souvenir 66 shop which sort of was a played homage to uh, Route 66. And speaking of Route 66, nearby there was a uh, I think they call it a mouse coaster. It was called Mulholland Madness, and it was themed after California freeways. Mulholland Drive is a famous road in the, the um, Los Angeles hills. And um, so they sort of made this sort of theme to California freeways, and it was just basically a mouse coaster with some signs and everything. This is still there, but they completely rethemed it to Goofy's Flight School several years later. But it's just an off-the-shelf mouse coaster with a little bit of theming added. And uh, then they had the last two attractions, again, just basically off-the-shelf uh, amusement park rides. Jumpin' Jellyfish was like a, a parachute drop. It's not anything like what they used to have at Knott's Berry Farm. It's not as tall, they don't, it's not as beautiful. It, like, I remember the parachute drop at Knott's Berry Farm. Even if you didn't want to go on it, which I certainly did not, it was still beautiful to look at. It had, it was colorful and it added kinetic energy. This is sort of tucked away and you don't really see it unless you're near it. And it doesn't really add anything. And it's sort of ugly looking. It's like green and purple and very 90s looking and it's just sort of... I, th I wish they'd just get rid of it or put in a better looking version of it. That looks more like what they used to have at Knott's Berry Farm. I did go on the one at Knott's Berry Farm when I was a kid and it was because I was forced to go on it. My parents set me off with my older brother to court, sort of go around while they were sort of resting and 
he made me go on it with him, and I remember being horrified. I was not a fan of free-falling from that high up. Anyway, the last attraction is the Golden Zephyr, which is just basically a spin attraction. But it's sort of an old-fashioned-y looking one. It sort of looks like the ones from Coney Island back in the day. And it looks like a, a dirigible balloon, and you're riding in it. And uh, just going around in a circle. Nothing special. It's probably got really pretty views. I would probably pass on it. I wouldn't mind going on it, but there'd have to be no wait. Like, I would only go on it if there was no line whatsoever. I wouldn't wait five minutes for that. Have you ever been on that? No, I haven't. It's pretty to look at. It's more there for the people not riding it than it is for the people riding it. Because it adds to the whole theme of the area, but it's not really anything to write home about, you know? I just realized. We didn't mention California Screaming. I mean, you, you Oh, I did mention it, it a little bit. You mentioned yeah. it, but we didn't talk about it. So this was a, it looked like a traditional wooden roller coaster from the old days, but it was not wooden. It was painted white to look like a wooden roller coaster, but it was just a basically a, an old-fashioned traditional roller coaster with a few, well, few major differences. One of them is it had, um, at the beginning, it had a special exertion thing where it shot you this was something they created for the Space Mountain in Disneyland Paris, where they shot you up in a cannon. So instead of doing a slow climb up a hill at the beginning of the coaster, they instead accelerated you up that hill through propulsion. So that's they added that to this. So instead of doing a slow climb up the hill, they shot you up that hill at the beginning. And then the other difference is it has a loop which is the reason I'm not going on it. I don't mind a regular up and down turnaround roller coaster. That's basically what Space Mountain is. But I don't go, I do not do upside down. I just don't, that's not happening. So I'm not going on it. Now the other thing is, and I think this was because of people in Anaheim that lived in Anaheim complaining. They put these really, I think they're eyesore looking little tunnels at the top of the hills so when you go over the the peaks of the coaster you go through these little tunnels and i guess it's to block the sound so that people living in the area don't hear people screaming all the time i don't know how effective that is but i really feel like disney was forced to do that by the mm -hmm. leg by anaheim legislation because it looks terrible. It looks like it doesn't belong, and I've always really not liked that. It works a little bit better because now it's rethemed to be the Incredicoaster, and mm -hmm. they ha and they yeah. sort of added some scenes inside of those little tunnels that fit in with that theme. But I don't think it worked for what it was supposed to be originally. What do you think? When I did write it the one time, I had my eyes closed, so. I did not <laughs> see anything <laughs> one way or the other. It was all one big tunnel to me. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I can understand. Um, I think you're right. I think that is probably why they have those there. And I do, I'm glad that they have now 
fully incorporated them into the attraction and make them useful. But yeah, before they were they were just there. Do you have any final thoughts about the original California adventure, Lucy? Really, my final thoughts are, I can't say that this was the best use of this land, the best themed. It wasn't. But I still have fond memories of going to this park. And the the difference between this park to me and, and Disneyland is, while... I grew up going to Disneyland, so like that park was like the first theme park of any type that I had ever experienced in my life. So way to start at the top, and then so there's nothing that's going to be better than that. <laughs> so anything, you know, anything that I've experienced after that is never going to, you know, meet the mark there. But this park I got to see from beginning to now, where it's where it is now, and. It's, it's really interesting watching a, a park evolve the way that this one has a lot more rapidly than Disneyland. And obviously that there was necessity for that. I just think it's really interesting because, you know, this park opened in 2001. I had my daughter December 2001. So I basically, when I was taking her to the parks, we were going to this park 
basically from opening. And so watching her kind of grow up and kind of along the same lines as this park, they're both kind of growing up and just seeing the evolution and things like that, I think it's really interesting. I have a lot of fond memories of doing things and being with my family, being with my friends at this park. Um, I actually, like my sister, one of the things that we did for her um, kind of quote-unquote bachelorette party day was we, we spent a whole day at Disney and we went to DCA and then later on in the evening we went to one of the restaurants in downtown Disney for the evening and so we just kind of had this whole Disney day planned out you know so I have a lot of fond memories of of being in this park and I've really been able to enjoy what they were offering even though yes it wasn't the best and you know it kind of is disappointing when you think about what it could have been but thank you, Disney, for not neglecting the park. I'm glad that they are really, you know, over the past 10 years, they've really took the time to really develop it and put some money into it, put some time into it, and really make it more of a destination and and fun place for people to go to because it's definitely still fun for me now, and I want to go there. I mean, I love Cars Land and, and all of the, the new themed areas that they've added since since the opening so you know it's just good to talk about it and it's just really interesting to think about the whole transition of the park just in 20 years so i have never been to california adventure in fact i was living in southern california and was an annual pass holder and then i moved in late 99 so when they were just starting construction of California Adventure is when I left California. So I remember that them when they start when they closed the parking lot and they started clearing all of the cement away and they had this right at the exit to Disneyland where the entrance to California Adventure would eventually be. They had a uh, lookout tower and you could climb up on this tower and look out onto the construction site in progress. And it was just, the last time I saw it was just a huge area of dirt that had once been a parking <laughs> lot. They had not done anything to it the last time I saw it. So it's amazing how it went from a parking lot to what it is today. I am much more comfortable with what the park is now. I think that when it first opened, there were a lot of things in it that sort of anger me. Like I mentioned, the whole Paradise Pier area was an insult to Walt Disney. I think now that they have made it into more of a themed area and given it more of a purpose, it is still... I'm still on the fence about it, but it is less offensive to me. Also, I feel like by redoing the whole entrance area and giving it the theme of the, the day Walt Disney first arrived in California sort of adds a, a special Disney touch to it. And yeah. also, I feel like as much as it is a better park than it once was, and they're still adding to it. They're building a whole new area themed to Marvel, which is probably gonna, it's probably going to be ready for opening. When they reopen the park eventually, that will be part of the reopening. 
I have a feeling I'm just sort of guessing ahead, but I think they might do something special when they reopen the parks and do special rededication ceremonies and reopening ceremonies for both parks. Hmm. It's sort of a fun thing. And I think that that will coincide with the grand opening of Marvel Land at the same time. So it'll be a whole special reopening situation for Disneyland. And uh, there are some things that I would do that would be so easy to do that would bring so much more Disney magic into the park. And I think the first thing I would do if I were given the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, is I would bring back Country Bear Jamboree and plop it right in Grizzly Peak Recreation Area. There's room for it, it fits the theme, and it would bring back a, a Disney classic that people miss, and it would bring some traditional, old-school Disney magic into that park, mm -hmm. and I think it's needed. And I, that would bring something really special to that park, and I think it would bring a lot of Disney fans over to that park to experience yeah. that. So that's the first thing I would do to, f to make the park even better. It wouldn't be expensive. It wouldn't, it would fit the area. There's space for it. And I just feel like that would be something special. But anyway, those are our thoughts and feelings on California Adventure as it was. And happy 20th anniversary. And let's hope for another amazing 20 years who knows what's going to come in the next two decades i know that's true <laughs> <laughs> So I hope everybody enjoyed episode 135 of the Jiminy Crickets podcast. Ruthie, where can everybody find Jiminy Crickets on the web? You can listen to all of our past shows, including audio versions of Dateline Jiminy Crickets on our website, jcricketpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes under the name Jiminy Crickets. That's with an exclamation point. And be sure to leave us a five-star review. On our YouTube channel, we share updates to the Disney Press website, including the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour, as well as past episodes of the Jiminy Crickets podcast and Dateline Jiminy Crickets. You can find our channel if you search for DisneyChris.com. And remember, .com is spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. And don't forget to subscribe and click on the notification bell. You can also join in the conversation over on our Facebook page, Jiminy Crickets Podcast, where you can not only interact with Chris and me and all the fellow cricketeers, but you can also stay up to date on the latest details of our many worldwide web endeavors. In addition to all the normal places you have always found our podcast, you can now also find us over at the Roarbots, a unique website celebrating all aspects of geek culture, including Disney fandom. Here we share all of our new episodes twice monthly, as well as special best of episodes from our extensive back catalog of shows. We are proud to be a part of this motley crew of pop culture superfans, so be sure to check out this amazing website at www.theroarbots.com. If you would like to contact the show with your comments or questions, our email address is disneychrisdotcom at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also find us over on Instagram. Our official Instagram account is at disneychris underscore jc underscore podcast. There are already hundreds of colorful vintage Disney images on our page, and we are continually adding more fun Disney things to see. 
This is also a great place to get updates to our podcast and the Disney Chris website. So be sure to follow us on Instagram today. You will find me on Twitter at DisneyChris73. And on Facebook, Ruthie can be found under the name Ruthie Brown. And I can be found under the name Chris Linden. That's L-Y-N-D-O-N, as in Lyndon Johnson. My website is DisneyChris.com, home to the Disney Song of the Day and the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour, where you'll find over 2,200 audio tracks from the happiest place on Earth. We would also like to give special thanks to those who help us spread our magic with their generous support. You can help support Dateline Jiminy Crickets, the Jiminy Crickets podcast, and the Disney Chris website by becoming a Patreon subscriber. By joining our illustrious roster of supporters, you will receive exclusive rewards every month, including audio content, Disney video commentaries, and an exclusive Patreon subscribers-only podcast. Additionally, your name will be featured on screen during the closing credits of each Dateline Jiminy Crickets podcast. So be sure to check out our new donation levels and special rewards at patreon.com slash disneychris. You can also make a one-time only donation or recurring donation via PayPal. And recurring PayPal donators qualify for the same rewards as our Patreon subscribers. You will find links to all these donation options at disneychris.com slash donate.html. And Ruthie, do you have any final words for today? I do. I hope you all enjoyed our trip through the gateway to Disney's golden dreams of California. Thanks for listening. And always let your conscience be your guide. When your heart is in your dream.